Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Nuggets Numbers. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network. It is Thursday afternoon, and we're going to have a great time right now talking about last night's game, talking about Isaiah Thomas. Uh, going to go to some mailbag questions today, and then want to wrap up with ranking the playoff field uh, from the least favorable to the most favorable playoff matchup for the Nuggets at the end. So, But first things first, thank you guys for coming out to Stiff's Night Out last night. Obviously, I'm in South Carolina right now, so I wasn't able to attend, but it was at Stoney's, and from what I heard from my colleagues, Adam Mares, Brendan Vogt, who were at the, the event, it was great. Packed out the building, everybody had a great time. Uh, Denver Stiffs is really happy to provide these events, and as soon as I get back into town, I would love to attend a Stiffs Night Out and hang out with you guys. So if you're in town for the next Stiffs Night Out, stop on by partnering with the Denver Nuggets. There should be another couple, as well as some stuff in the playoffs. So it's going to be a really fun time, and I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you guys. So without further ado, I want to talk about Isaiah Thomas because he has been a massive, massive hot-button issue for the Denver Nuggets of late. Uh, in his in his entrance into the Denver Nuggets lineup, his per-game num- per numbers are as follows. 15.6 minutes per game, 9.0 points, 1.5 assists, 1.4 rebounds, averaging 38% from the field. 27% from three, 61% from the free throw line. The striking similarity to this year's Isaiah Thomas and last year's Isaiah Thomas with Cleveland and split split between Cleveland and Los Angeles is striking. Those numbers on a per 36-minute basis are really, really similar to what he was doing last year, and that should really scare Nuggets fans because the uh, the... Allure with Isaiah Thomas was that at his at his floor, if he put up the same numbers, he would at least provide a different dynamic for Denver. But so far, that really hasn't been the case. Uh, if anything, he's massively hurt Denver, and he's been a, a major hot-button topic for Nuggets fans and kind of the ire for Nuggets fans that are seeing the bench really struggle because they think that he's the only reason that they're struggling. And to be honest, the on-off numbers really back that up. Uh, when he's on the court, the Nuggets have posted a minus 9.2 net rating, which is basically equivalent to the New York Knicks or the Chicago Bulls or the Phoenix Suns. Uh, a poor team like that that has no current value and current uh, current aspirations for the playoffs. And so when 
Thomas turns a unit that Denver's using to try and get into the playoffs into a team that's operating like a 15-win team at this stage of the season, that's a really big issue. More still is that he has a minus 15.0 net rating on-off difference, meaning that when he's off the floor, the Nuggets are 15 points per 100 possessions better. Uh, that's uh, stupendously horrible uh, for for a variety of factors, but most importantly that the Nuggets are just trying to win games, and they can't win games if they're performing at such a bad level. Now, it's not all on him. I want to stress that it's not all because of Thomas. I will get into that a little bit later. But team-wide, the offensive rating, the assist percentage, assist-to-turnover ratio, the efficiency numbers, they're at their lowest with Thomas on the floor, and that's something that you just can't ignore. Though the defense has been at its best with Thomas on the floor. They only give up a 101.8 defensive rating when he's out there, which is still a bad trade-off, of course, but it's not that terrible. If you're if you're playing the as the best defensive quality in the NBA... That's That can be worked with if the offensive issues are, are ironed out. And I think that Denver will try and iron out some of those issues. But I also think it, it's worth mentioning that Denver's defense with Isaiah Thomas out there has been good. And they've been able to maintain that. It's just that the offense has been so terrible that it really kind of strikes Nuggets fans in the face whenever they see him out there. Um, want to get into some mailbag questions now. Just because there's been a lot of t- conversation about Thomas, want to get people's opinions on him, uh, get their general thoughts, and then respond to some of those questions. Um, any questions that I got on Paul Millsap's contract or, or potential offseason moves, I'm going to table that for the offseason, just because Denver has some has reasons to play now. They have reasons to continue focusing on the, on the ever-present. Uh, some of those things that they could be focusing on in the future, they should focus on the future, and so I will as well. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, Josh Tempenny asked on Twitter, other than IT stagnating the second unit, uh, uh, other than IT stagnating the second unit and the fact that I don't want to blame just him, what has happened to our second unit? We started the year so strong, but it seems to have died off. We need to get back to that before the playoffs, and I agree. I, I would see some of the key answers above. Uh, Denver's offensive rating has dropped monumentally. Their their passing has really dropped off as well. Uh, turnover rate is is through the roof at the moment. Uh, but in the end, like if if Monte Morris and Malik Beasley start shooting their three point percentages at a normal rate, then maybe that doesn't happen as much. They still get a, a similar number of three point shots as they did before, but with Isaiah Thomas on. Monte Morris has shot 25% from three uh, versus 39% from three with him off since the All-Star break. I want to make that clear. Um, Malik Beasley is in the same position. He Since since the All-Star break, Isaiah Thomas, when he's on, when, I, when Isaiah Thomas is on the floor, Malik Beasley is shooting 27% from three versus 41% from three when he's off. That's not all because Isaiah Thomas is creating poor looks for those guys. Uh, some of those shots are still wide open. Some of those shots are still in rhythm. And Monte Morris and Malik Beasley should be expected to hit those shots, regardless of who's passing them the ball. Uh, that said, they look uncomfortable out there. Um, but you you still have to operate as a professional. And 
play up to the best of your ability. And so as they get more comfortable with Isaiah Thomas out there, I think that that number rises just a little bit. But does Denver have the time to wait for that? I'm not sure. Um, Take a quick break, get to some more questions right after this. We are back, Nuggets Numbers. Wanted to get back into some more of these questions. Have a few more here for you guys. Uh, Tim James on Twitter asked and and stated that the number of assists for the Nuggets when Isaiah Thomas is on the floor versus when Isaiah Thomas is on the bench, he wants to know about that. Seems like the passes and the player movements have been lower since Isaiah Thomas' return. Uh, I agree. Uh, The numbers don't lie about that. The assist rate has dropped the turnover rate has increased. The efficiency has has dropped as well. Uh, wanted to throw this one out there. The ball has definitely gotten sticky when when Thomas is in the game. For a point of reference, uh, Thomas has passed the ball 109 times in his 109 minutes. Most of the time, when a point guard is out there, when a point guard is operating, the point guard will have more passes, more far exceeding the number of minutes that he has played. But that has not been the case. Only Bryn Bryn Forbes and Frank Jackson are two of the point guards that have the most, uh, that have more minutes exceeding the number of passes that they have actually made this season. Every other point guard has had more passes than minutes. Isaiah Thomas is one of the few that has had more minutes than passes. And that's a real concern, given that so much of Denver's offense is reliant on ball movement and player movement. If he's not going to do either, then of course that's going to be an issue. But I think that's we should start treating Isaiah Thomas as more of a shooting guard for that reason, and, and Monte Morris as the point guard. This isn't really a two-point guard system if the point guards aren't passing that often. Uh, Monte Morris, of course, is a great passer. He's been passing very frequently, but Isaiah Thomas is not. Should probably start treating him as a shooting guard, and if that's the case, then he has to make shots. Isaiah Thomas has to be a knockdown shooter from the perimeter, and of course, 27%, which he's currently shooting from three, is not going to cover it. Uh, He doesn't really add that much value to the court if he's not going to make those shots and attempt those shots with a good frequency. So we'll just have to see how that evolves, but that's where I currently see things at right now. Uh, Steve Tonkin asked on Twitter, what's Morris's usage and true shooting percentage since the break? Why do I feel like we go to Plumley ISOs in the post more so than we do Jokic? Uh, starting with that second point first, I think that's more of a byproduct of watching the most recent game against the Los Angeles Lakers. I was very struck by that as well, that Jokic was not getting into the post very frequently seemed like he wanted other players around him to operate as the scorers that he knows that they can. Uh, Jokic can absolutely destroy JaVale McGee and Jonathan Williams and Moritz Wagner. Uh, Everybody knows that. I think Jokic knows that. I think the most valuable thing that Jokic can do is help get the confidence up for everybody else. And I think that that's one of the things that was going through his head, though of course I won't claim to know what a basketball savant like Jokic is actually thinking at these points. Uh, He is, in his own world, at times, 
uh, Matt Moore has joked previously that he he acts like a bird, just kind of doing what what feels right in the moment. And for him, if uh, kind of hanging out at the perimeter and and letting Will Barton and Gary Harris and Jamal Murray and Paul Millsap work, if that's what makes sense, then that's fine. And the Nuggets starting unit last night killed. They they destroyed completely. So in terms of Plumley, uh, he has certainly been posting up with more frequency over the last couple of games. Uh, I think that's a natural byproduct of Monte Morris struggling, Isaiah Thomas struggling. Uh, there's if both of those guys are struggling, then Plumley needs to operate as a creator, and the best way he can do that is from the post. So it's not necessarily as a shooter, but as a passer, as a guy who can kick out the ball. Uh, that's a great thing for Denver to have in their arsenal, especially if the bench offense gets bogged down. And I think that that's something that should definitely be celebrated and not necessarily uh, guarded against. Uh, glad to see that Plumley is doing as much as he has done, uh, for sure. Uh, going back to Morris, Morris has posted actually a higher usage rate than he had before the All-Star break. Uh, usage rate of 18.1% now versus 17.1% before. Uh, to me, that's a natural byproduct of Thomas not really being able to do much with the ball in his position and then passing off the ball to Morris. Uh, Morris then feels like he has a natural obligation to do a little bit more rather than dish it out to others. And that has absolutely tanked his true shooting percentage. It's dropped like a lead pipe from down to 40.4% from 58% before the break. 58% for a point guard, especially a bench point guard, is really, really good. Especially somebody that facilitates as much as Morris does. 40.4% is atrocious. It's worse than Emmanuel Moutier was for much of his Denver tenure. Uh, that can't happen. It just can't. Uh, Denver has to find a way to get Morris back to a very familiar place, uh, a place of comfort where he's handling the ball and has a lot of space to operate. Uh, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I think that Trey Lyles probably coming back is probably going to help Denver uh, just because they will be playing Monte Morris and Malik Beasley, and maybe they play Torrey Craig at the three and Trey Lyles at the four, along with Plumlee at the five, and that, that at least provides a little bit more of a traditional look. Or they, or they rotate one of Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, or Will Barton onto the bench lineup, and they serve as a shooting guard or small forward to, to help shoulder that load. So either way, Monte Morris needs to get it right. I think a lot of that has to do with Isaiah Thomas being on the floor and Monte Morris being uncomfortable, but we'll just have to see. Philip Joseph asks on Twitter, Anyone on Nuggets Twitter looking forward to Lyles coming back? Uh, yeah, I would I would definitely say so. Uh, Lyles, for all his warts, for the poor shooting that he has had over the course of this entire season, frankly, he adds a dimension of size and kind of regularity back into the second unit on offense. How many games has he played with Morris, with Plumlee, with Beasley? Those guys just know how to play together. And that really helps. It's it's something that you can't really guard against. You have to factor that in to any calculus when talking about uh, Trey Lyles versus the healthiness of the bench unit. Uh, and with Isaiah Thomas coming in, it, it 
kind of has shifted the blame, but with with Lyles back in there, with Plumlee back in there, uh, Denver has been reasonable. They've been good. They've been they've been fine. They haven't given up leads uh, as frequently as they have in the most recent weeks. So I I would definitely be excited for it for sure. What he does is he kind of adds a pick and pop game to Monte Morris's pick and roll game. Uh, while Mason Plumley rolls hard to the rim, Trey Lyles pops to the wing, pops to the perimeter. He gives Morris ability to operate in that regard. And if, if Lyles were able to hit those shots at a 30% rate or better, then he would be extremely valuable to that bench unit. It, it, uh, at least Denver knows what they're getting with him. Uh, even if they get a poor shooter, they at least get somebody who kind of straightens things out and helps Denver get get back into a good rhythm. Uh, so my personal preference, though, would be Jared Vanderbilt. I don't see Malone going with him, nor do I blame Malone for not going with Jared Vanderbilt, who I think people forget is a 19-year-old rookie who's just coming off of foot surgery and is extremely raw just somebody who may who may not even be ready for for quality playoff minutes uh playoff caliber minutes uh, that's not a bad thing denver shouldn't uh and nuggets fans shouldn't blame malone for not going to jared vanderbilt i personally would like to see it if only for a few games just to ensure that he's not providing the the necessary boost that i think that he possibly could in the end, I don't think Denver has a great option. I think Lyles is probably the best of a bad few options. Best of a f- best of a few bad options. There we go. And Jared Vanderbilt, while he is an unknown, could be better than that, but he also could be way worse. So I don't really blame Malone, of course. Um, in the end, it doesn't really matter who steps up, though. Uh, Paul Millsap played 40 minutes last night. He can't play 40 minutes going forward. He he has to stay fresh. Uh, Denver's going to need him in the playoffs to match up with uh, other quality bigs, uh, guard against tall wings like Paul George, and make things difficult for teams that want to drive into the lane and, and are trying to get past Jokic. So he covers up a lot of Denver's warts, but if he's tired, then he's not going to have the same sort of effectiveness that he would in these situations. Denver's done a good job of managing his minutes to this point, but playing him 40 minutes and having him guard tough players constantly, that's a tough look. Final segment, I want to quickly run through Denver's potential playoff opponents this year from the worst matchup to the best matchup. So basically, at the top of this list is going to be the teams that Denver does not want to play in the postseason. Uh, the teams that I'm going to list are the ones that I think that Denver's almost insured to lose against if they came up in a playoff series. Uh, especially these top two, while the teams at the bottom of the list are the teams I think Denver would absolutely win a series against, uh, which to me ensures that they need a certain seeding in the playoffs in order to ensure that they play one of these teams at the bottom rather than a team that could potentially upset them. So without further ado, 
The worst matchup for the Denver Nuggets is by far the Golden State Warriors. You want to stay as far away from Golden State as you can, and that's pretty obvious. They are the defending champs. They are extremely talented. Denver doesn't have a great matchup for either Stephen Curry or Kevin Durant. Gary Harris does a great job against Klay Thompson, and I think Nikola Jokic would be a good matchup against DeMarcus Cousins, but does Denver have a guy who can go toe-to-toe with Stephen Curry or a guy who can go toe-to-toe with Kevin Durant? I don't think so. I think that Jamal Murray could absolutely surprise people. Uh, Maybe he averages 25 points per game in a series against Golden State and absolutely goes off, but if Stephen Curry is averaging 30 points per game, then that obviously neutralizes that a little bit. So we would just have to see how that goes, Uh, but I'm definitely not I would definitely be worried about a matchup with Golden State, as anybody should be. Uh, Number two, I think this is clear-cut as well. The Houston Rockets, uh, James Harden, Chris Paul, Clint Capella, those three, especially in combination, have killed Denver for the last couple of years. James Harden especially, he knows exactly what pressure points to push on Denver's defense. Uh, whether it be Tory Craig guarding him or Gary Harris guarding him or, or anybody else, whether it be Nikola Jokic on a switch or Paul Millsap even, uh, James Harden knows how to get to the rim, and he absolutely has his step-back three in the bag. Uh, he's a willing passer. He will dish off to Clint Capella or, in this case, Kenneth, Far- Kenneth Fareed maybe. He will pass out to P.J. Tucker, pass out to Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers, guys like that. They have enough shooting to make that work. Uh, Denver would not be in a very good position if they had to play the Houston Rockets. And I don't think that Jokic would play well either. He would be matched up with Clint Capella. And if they switch, then he's going to be matched up against P.J. Tucker, who's a great defender, or James Harden, who's an excellent post defender. Um... That's tough. That's a tough matchup. Number three, the Utah Jazz. As was recently shown in the last game played against the Utah Jazz, the Utah is one of the only teams that really knows how to disrupt what Denver wants to do offensively. Uh, while Donovan Mitchell would probably be an inefficient option for most of the time, he would be a killer late in games versus Denver. Uh Mitchell has really proven he knows how to match up one-on-one, and when he gets into space and gets downhill versus a guy like Nikola Jokic, he will score. He will score at will. So it wouldn't surprise me if Mitchell averaged 30 points per game in a playoff series, whether it's on 25 shots or 20 shots, doesn't really matter because Utah's defense is excellent. They know exactly what buttons to push on Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap in that combination. Uh, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors are excellent matchups against Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap, and if that is a neutralized matchup, that's Denver's biggest advantage. Uh, They would need players like uh, Gary Harris and Jamal Murray and Will Barton to really step up. They would probably have Torrey Craig defend Joe Harris, or I'm sorry, Joe Ingles, a lot of the time that he was out there just because I don't think that Will Barton would match up with him extremely well. He didn't He didn't match up with him extremely well last game. So that'll be interesting to see play out. Can Denver match up with Utah's defensive size on the bench? Uh, Monte Morris struggled when being defended against a guy like Royce O'Neal. Uh, 
Royce O'Neal will absolutely play in a Denver Nuggets playoff series just because he has the size and the ability to disrupt a lot of what Denver's guards want to do. Uh, that's a big deal. Number four, the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, th- obviously, the Damian Lillard combination with Yusuf Nurkic in the pick and roll, uh, that's a matchup that Nuggets fans have seen a lot of. And while Denver has won that matchup lately, uh, a playoff series changes things where Terry Stotts, another excellent coach, has the opportunity to isolate Nikola Jokic and put him in situations where he's defending that pick and roll in space a lot. And Damian Lillard, when he's given that opportunity, is a very tough player to defend. And if you double Damian Lillard, then you leave Yusuf, you leave Yusuf Nurkic open. So obviously that's tough. CJ McCollum has the ability to get hot, average 25 points per game. The Blazers bench is obviously bad, and I think Denver would be good enough with both of their units to win this series, but Murray, Harris, and Barton would need to be big. Uh, Denver wouldn't go through Nikola Jokic a ton in the post this series, just because when you're when you're repeatedly being bashed into by Yusuf Nurkic, you get really tired. Uh, that's going to be something that Denver will have to guard against and maybe go out selectively as opposed to repeatedly. Number five, Oklahoma City. Uh, The Thunder are lower than Houston, Utah, and Portland just because I think that as Denver has shown over the past few games when playing Oklahoma City, they match up pretty well with them. And while Paul George is clearly a boss, and that can't be overstated in any way, uh, Westbrook has killed the Nuggets and the Thunder equally in the last few games that they've played each other. Uh, Torrey Craig has gotten under Westbrook's skin. Jamal Murray and Gary Harris and Malik Beasley even have gotten under Westbrook's skin. Uh, Denver would live with Westbrook taking 25 shots a night just because that means that Paul George is probably not taking 25 shots a night. So if that was the case, then Denver will probably win. Uh, Jokic also kills this matchup and Denver would need him to be big. Uh, I would expect Paul George to defend Jamal Murray for the majority of that playoff series, so they would have to go to other options, and I think that Will Barton and Gary Harris would be able to step up, but it's obviously an issue if they can't. Uh, I would definitely pick Denver in this playoff series, but it could certainly go the other way, uh, especially if Denver cannot guard Paul George. Uh, Steven Adams and Jeremy Grant have been great. Uh, Terrence Ferguson has learn to be great in a very short amount of time, but I think that Denver has guys that can neutralize that. Uh, I would definitely pick Denver, though. Number six, and this is the third easiest matchup, would be the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, The Spurs are definitely not the third worst team on this list. They're probably the second worst or even the worst, Uh, but they have the Popovich factor. Uh, Denver can match up with the Spurs pretty well. I don't see them letting Nikola Jokic... I don't see the Spurs letting Nikola Jokic go to the post frequently in this series. I would say that they would probably want others to try and beat them and force Denver to rotate the ball and play extremely well and and play the Spurs' beautiful game against the Spurs, uh, which I think Denver could do and probably would do in this situation. 
uh, with as much shooting as Denver has between Murray, Harris, and Barton, and even Millsap on a good night, I think that Denver could definitely make that work. Um, but it would take away Jokic's scoring for sure if they forced the ball out of Jokic's hands, and that's a chance that San Antonio would probably take. Uh, can Denver pretend? Can they prevent the dribble penetration when the Spurs go small? and when they put Jokic in the pick and roll. Uh, as we saw last game against the Spurs, their counter to Denver defending Jakob Pertl well and LaMarcus Aldridge with Paul Millsap was to move LaMarcus Aldridge to the five and put Rudy Gay at the four. So in that situation, Jokic would have to defend LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, he wouldn't be able to defend Rudy Gay in space because Rudy Gay is a 45% three-point shooter or so, and has proven to be a great perimeter shooter. So Denver would be playing with fire if they had that matchup, and maybe they would try that. Maybe they would just leave Jokic on Aldridge, but as we saw in the last matchup when Jokic was defending Aldridge, uh, Aldridge was killing Denver. Not necessarily because it was Jokic's fault, but Denver would not recover in time when they were trying to switch, and that would be on the guard or the other guys that were supposed to rotate, not necessarily Jokic. So we'll see what happens with that, but Denver probably wins this, but they're certainly an upset factor because of Popovich, because of DeMar DeRozan in a playoff series. How can Denver match up with him? Uh, would be definitely interesting to watch. The second easiest team, the number seven, the second easiest team is the Sacramento Kings. Uh, they're currently out of the playoffs right now, so I doubt that Denver will have to match up with them. But with the, with the Kings, speed kills. Uh, they are very fast with De'Aaron Fox at, at point guard and Buddy Heald at shooting guard willing to run the floor and jack up threes really quickly. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein is one of the fastest centers in the NBA and would absolutely be beating Jokic down the floor a lot of the time. So that would create mismatch opportunities and Denver could potentially foul. Uh, really get into a tough situation where Sacramento forces them out of their game, uh, in which case I think the Kings take that take a couple of games from that series in that situation, but I think that Denver can still beat Sacramento at their own game, and if Denver were to play their own game against Sacramento, then Denver clearly wins this series. They have more talent than Sacramento. And lastly, the Los Angeles Clippers... Uh, the Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell pick and roll show for sure. Uh, Denver matches up extremely well with the Clippers. They would put Gary Harris on Lou Williams pretty much the entire time. Um, that's a guy that Denver, as as long as they get in his airspace and don't foul him, uh, Lou Williams would be very comfortable going three for fourteen in a from the field. Um, he would shoot a lot. And he would have to shoot a lot just because Denver would would be defending him one-on-one -on -one and they wouldn't have any other options. Um, I think that Los Angeles doesn't really have an opportunity and a guy to defend Jokic one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, if they went to Montrezl Harrell, that's fine. Denver would do their best to foul him out. Uh, and if not, they would put him in the pick-and-roll. And Harrell's not a great pick-and-roll defender anyway. So that would be probably the best matchup for Denver. Uh, as long as Jokic doesn't get ejected, this is probably a five-game series in Denver's favor. Uh, the Clippers would steal a game for sure, but I think that Denver pretty much takes care of business in this one. So, All right, that's going to do it for me. 
I am Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Thanks for tuning into Nuggets Numbers today. Uh, the Stiffs will be having a another Stiffs night out relatively soon. Don't know the details on that right now, but it's probably going to be at the end of March, early April area. So keep on the lookout for that. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, going to be really interesting to see how Denver closes this year. A lot of competitive games. Denver has a major opportunity on their hands to try and get to the first seed ahead of Golden State. Or if they stay in the second seed, then that would be great. If they fall to the third or fourth seed, then that puts them in kind of a tough position. So my belief is that Denver should be going for it, should be gunning for as high of a seed as they can, which means that this next game against Golden State would be huge. Uh, Denver's 1-1 one and one against Golden State this year. And if they win this game and win the next game, then they would absolutely, obviously win the series. So that would be a huge advantage for Denver if they were able to get home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Uh, Expectations would obviously be high, but I think that this Denver Nuggets team can absolutely match those expectations. So we will just have to see. Thank you again for tuning in. I will see you guys in a couple weeks.